Good morning, good morning. Hey, James, could you get me two new batteries? Because <laughs> this is going to die right in the middle of all this. All right. So we are going to get into our lesson. Now, this may sound familiar because I did this sermon here two years ago, like when we first got here. There's been, a, there's been a few things that went down since I last gave this uh, sermon. And I was, I was listening back to like the first time I did this. And I'm like, oh, Ben. Oh, you're so like innocent and pure-hearted. You thought the world was just going to keep on spinning the normal way. And no, no one was going to lose their minds. And nobody was going to go crazy. Oh, if only you, if only you knew what was actually going to happen. So this is a good lesson to revisit. This is like this should be on like regular rotation every couple of years, just to remind ourselves of this spiritual truth. And the title of the lesson is "Thick Skin, Soft Heart," and we'll, that'll make sense in a little bit. But first, if you don't remember me giving this this lesson the last time, uh, I have a picture for us. This is Everett. <laughs> this is my baby boy, Everett. Now. This is a very weird story, because this is, we were at um, Wilner and Chantal's house. If you don't know who Wilner Cornerly is, awesome brother who passed away, but we're at their house, the boys are playing, and I hear cream, screaming and crying, and I look, and like Everett like rolled down a hill, and he's, he's crying, and I come over and I'm consoling him, so I'm like sitting like this, I got my arm around him, I don't know why I took my phone out and took a picture of my son <laughs> In the midst of his, like, grief, he's literally still got, like, grit embedded into his elbow right there. Um, but I just was like, I want to, I don't know why, I don't know why I want to take a picture of this, but I just want to remember this, this moment where, like, I can console my son. Now, the boys, they hurt themselves a lot growing up. They regularly would fall and hurt themselves or push the other kid down and hurt themselves. And they would come to us, like, screaming, crying. And he would, like, have his arm on his hand on his elbow or something. And he'd be like, ah, Dad, I'm dying. And I'd be like, let me see. Let me see your wound. And he would be like, ah. And it would be, like, slightly red. It's <laughs> like, like not even disturbance of the, of the skin. And in those moments, I don't want to tell my kid, no, you're not. No, you're not hurt. Like, yeah, quit crying. Like, suck it up. Like, everybody falls and scrapes their elbow. Like, get over it. I don't want to tell him that. I don't want to invalidate his pain in any way. It's real to him, even though I'm like, in, in three minutes you're going to be running around and you'll probably fall all over again. So we taught our kids a word. And maybe you remember this. We taught our kids a very important word, and that is abrasion. 
And when they come and they think they're dying, I would like triage them. I'd be like, oh, okay, let's see. Show me the wound. Let's see what's, what's going on here. Do I need to like take off my belt and form a tourniquet around your upper arm or something? <laughs> and he's like, Here's, here it is. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Well, it looks like we have an abrasion and we have a, a few like courses of action that we can take now to treat your wound. We can do, uh, we, we should wash it off and we can do the Band-Aid. We can do the the spray, you know, antiseptic, and they would always be like, the stingy spray? <laughs> I'm like, no, not the stingy spray, we'll just do the clean spray, and then we'll put a, a fresh bandage on, and if you say bandage, that goes a lot, long way, it sounds way more legitimate than a band-aid, and so if you say, like, parents, this, I'm, I'm teaching you now, you're like, you should be learning this stuff, okay, band- well, well, bandage your wound is a really, like, great thing to say to, a, a, especially a little boy who just fell and skinned his elbow. But we wanted to teach our kids that with a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of understanding, it's not going to minimize the pain, it's not going to take the pain away, but it will help us understand the pain a little bit better. And then fast forward, the story I always love to tell is when we're at, we did Cub Scouts for a little while, and, and where all these dads are at the playground at the school, and Freddie goes like tearing across the parking lot or playground and just bites it. Like literally just like all the way across the gravel. And he's like, he's like, dad. And I'm and I, feeling pretty confident in the way I've raised my son, I'm like, come here, son, let's take a look. And all the other dads are like, oh, your kid just totally wiped out. And Freddie, no lie, I'm not kidding. He's like, he's like, hold on, hold on. If you know Freddie, he still does this to this day. He's like, no, I got this, hold on. And he's like, okay, it's just an abrasion, everyone. It's just an abrasion. And all the dads were like, what just happened? That's amazing. And I'm like, yep, that's my boy right there. But, but what he, like his knee hurt, his knee hurt in the moment. But I, I raised him to understand his pain a little bit better. And guys, this is like all we're going to be talking about today is that there's pains that we interact with and we encounter in life. Now, they're not, like, they're not life-ending pains. We're not, going to talk about, we're not going to talk about the big stuff, like war and the Holocaust and all that stuff. Like, we're not going to talk about why does God have suffering in the world. We're just going to talk about in your life, you're going to have some things that just aren't fun and they hurt. And to be honest, sometimes those hurts, they come in the form of another person. And how do we process that? How do we, like, figure that out? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a sentence. It's a sentence my dad told me when I was a kid, and it has stuck with me. And maybe if you were here two years ago, you remember this. Here it is. The world wants you to be thin-skinned and hard-hearted. But God wants you to be thick-skinned and soft-hearted. And here's just my two little drawings of Thin skin, hard heart, thick skin, soft heart. And we're going to talk about what does that mean and what does it look like and how can we diagnose ourselves? Am I thin skinned or am I thick skinned? Am I soft hearted or am I hard hearted? And uh, I don't know when I'm going to say this, but 
there's, there, some of you might be automatically assuming that you're, whatever the good one is, that's what I am. Thick skin, soft heart, that's me. That's who I am. Don't be so quick to say that. Like, we really need to spend some time reflecting and, and diagnosing ourselves. And then some of you, I guarantee you, some of you are going to say, well, yes, I am a little thin-skinned, but I'm also soft-hearted. And I'm going to get back to that towards the end. But I want to talk, I wanna, first I want to look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the perfect example of a guy who was tough and yet very vulnerable and compassionate. He had the thickest of skin and the softest of hearts. And here's an example. In John 8, these, these are the Jews who like are yelling at him. He said, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Now, as 21st century Americans, we read this and we go, that doesn't mean anything to me. But we need to understand that this meant a lot to them when they were trying to say it to Jesus. It probably didn't mean a lot to Jesus. He let it roll off his back. But what, when they formed these words in their mouth, they were literally trying to think of the most hurtful thing they could say to someone. Samaritans, that was like the you know, half-breed Jew that like also worshipped idols up in the mountains and and they're dirty people, and we don't like them. And they say to Jesus, they call him a Samaritan, which is kind of like saying, some, some people would think it's like saying, oh, you're a Samaritan lover. Because he did. He preached to Samaritans, he talked to Samaritans, and he showed compassion to Samaritans. And then they say, you're, and you're demon-possessed. And literally, Jesus' answer was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, he didn't engage in this. He just let it, he just let it roll off his back. But they, this isn't passive-aggressive. This is like aggressive-aggressive language. They are trying to enrage him. They're trying to like fire him up. They would, they would love it if he would like lash out and start throwing blows. But Jesus totally let it go. And that makes me, that begs the question, like what is the worst thing that anyone could ever say to me? What's the thing that if they said to me, I would fly off the handle? And that's literally what they're trying to do to Jesus in this, in this passage. Like, they're, they're calculating. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt him so bad with my words, and yet he's got the thickest skin. He's like, mm, whatever. And yet, it didn't stop his love or his compassion. Later, in Luke 19, we read as he's approaching the end, it says, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, he wept over the city. And now he's talking to the whole city of Jerusalem. He said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. And there's a good chance that like, he is crying over the spiritual condition of the same people that were trying to yell at him, hurt him, arrest him, eventually crucify him. Jesus is like, I feel so deeply for you. But then that begs the question in my heart. Could I ever weep, like cry, genuine tears of compassion over someone that I know wants to hurt me? And guys, to be honest, the answer is no. No to both of those things. Because, why? Because my skin is not as thick as Jesus's was. And my heart is not as soft as Jesus' was. 
And if you're being honest, yours probably isn't either. But that's why Jesus is the perfect example of this. So let's dig in. Let's, let's try to diagnose. Do we have thin skin or do we have thick skin? Well, there's a lot of things I could say here. But I want to complete this sentence this way. This is probably the most obvious. The thin-skinned person is easily offended. Now you might be like, oh yeah, I totally have thick skin. I don't care about anybody. <laughs> like you could hurt a small animal in front of me. I don't care. Like, well, that doesn't make you, thin- that doesn't make you thick skin. That makes you something wrong with you. You're a psychopath. But are you easily offended? We, I've, I've, you know, encouraged people to read the book Unoffendable. It's a great book. I would encourage you to check it out. But it's this idea of when someone says just the right thing, does it like my heart rate goes up, my, bre- my breathing increases, I start to, my, my, my fingers start to tingle. <laughs> and the most mild-mannered person is susceptible to this. This isn't like, oh, I'm gentle, so that means I'm thick-skinned. That, that has nothing to do with it. There are plenty of gentle people that fly off the handle. They, they, they lose the ability to think rationally when they get offended. Here's a couple of verses I really love about being offended. In Proverbs 19.11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Which means you are going to be attacked. The offense will come at you and yet can you, this like wall of hurt coming from another person. They're throwing all of this garbage at you and you're like, hey, but how are you doing? I'm going to look over all this stuff you're throwing at me. I'm going to try to look at you and see... How's it going? Like, you're a person. You have hurts and feelings, and I, I care about you. And yeah, you're throwing all this stuff at me. I don't, whatever. I'm going to overlook all that. We think we can live a life where there are no offenses. We'll just set up the proper, like, we'll get the right friends, we'll get the right community, we'll get, set up the proper boundaries, and no one will, hurt, no one will ever try to offend us. It's going to come, but can we be prepared to overlook it? Here's Ecclesiastes. You know, I, you realize I love the Proverbs. I love, the, I love the, uh, the Proverbs and the wisdom books. Ecclesiastes 7.21. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. And this is so funny to me, because I remember my entire childhood. I had a, we had a teen diva when I was talking about like how I grew up and stuff. I remember wanting to be liked so much that I would leave a room and I would try to leave on a high note and I'd be like, hey, I hope they think I'm funny or I'm cool or I'm smart or whatever. And I would leave and immediately I would get hit with this crushing fear that maybe they're talking about me behind my back. Maybe, maybe they're saying mean things about me. And there's times where I would literally like want to stand at the door and listen. Are they talking about me? Because I, I, no one ever told me this. Hey, who cares? They're allowed to talk about you. <laughs> Even if they are talking about you. It doesn't matter. You should not stand at the door hoping to find something that will offend you. 
Just let it go. If you wake up every day and you're like, I'm going to find something on the internet that's going to send my blood boiling, I guarantee you, you will find it. You don't have to look long. Your newsfeed is probably tailored to do that to you. Do not pay attention to every word people say. And I even think about our children, from babies up to the teens and campus. Like, there are, there are children nowadays who are ending their life because of bullying, cyberbullying. And no one ever said, hey, you've got to learn how to not pay attention to the things people say about you. The more you listen to what everybody else thinks about you, I guarantee you're going to find something that's like, how dare they? And the book of Ecclesiastes said this thousands of years ago. And then this is what I think is hilarious. He's like, hey, and just so you know, you do that too, dummy. Anything that someone does to you that like sends you flying off the handle, I guarantee you, you've done it to someone else. This, for me, is traffic. Road rage. Because if someone cuts me off, I'm like, I hope you die in a fiery crash right now. Where's the police? You need to go to jail for what you just did. And then I have to remind myself, like, I literally just did that three blocks ago to someone else. But to me, when I cut that guy off, it was because I was in a hurry. The light was about to turn. I had to go for it. Like, there's all these reasons. But when someone does it to me, I'm like, how dare they? You know in your heart you do this stuff too. We have to learn how to have a a, a skin that's thick enough to take all these hurts that come at us in life. Here's one more. In 2 Timothy. 224. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, and patiently enduring evil. That hits me in the gut every single time I read it. How in the world, I want to be the Lord's servant, I want to be a man of God, how in the world can I train myself to be not quarrelsome, Kind to everyone, able to teach, and patiently enduring evil. Guys, there's sometimes where I cannot even begrudgingly endure a minor difference of opinion. We're like, how dare they believe those things? If I can't even put up with a difference of opinion, how in the world will I ever achieve this spiritual status of being able to patiently endure evil? evil. It's because we are so thin-skinned. We just let everything in. And, and, And what happens when we let everything in? It pummels our heart. It, it calcifies, like, it calluses our heart. And we can't, we don't know how to deal with it. And so for people that say, yes, I know I'm a little thin-skinned, but I'm also soft-hearted. I'm like, not for long, honestly. There's no way to be thin-skinned on a long enough timeline and still protect the softness of your heart. It's just not possible. You either have to lie to yourself, redefine what a soft heart even is, or just fool yourself into thinking that you're... You are the way God wants you to be when you're really not. 
because you've just let everything hurt you and you take it so personally. You're so easily offended. And so that's where I want to go next. The hard-hearted person. There were a lot of things I was trying to figure out. How do I say, like, how do I describe the hard-hearted person? And the, the first one that jumped out at me is, well, the hard-hearted person doesn't care about anything. And, and the more I thought about it, that's not actually true. The hard-hearted person does care about things, but the hard-hearted person chooses to stop caring about things at some point. And so whenever anything is new, it's easy to be like, this is awesome. Everything is so cool. All these people are so friendly, and I'm, oh, you know, they love me. But, but that's because nothing has happened to you yet. <laughs> you haven't experienced the pains of life, in your, and then at some point, you decide, okay, now I'm done. And now I'm going to make the conscious choice to stop caring about this thing, or these people, or anybody. We see this in everything from friendships to, uh, you know, at work, marriages, our faith. Everything. I love this verse in Proverbs. Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Some translations, it is the wellspring of life. We have to take care of our heart condition. So we have to be on defense. We have to defend our hearts. And yet, being on, like, on defense, like defending is not the same as being defensive. And there's a lot of times we, that's what it feels like when we're hardening our heart. Is when we're like, oh, I'm going to let this in, thin skin, I'm going to let it in, and then I'm going to let it sit with me. And there's actually, this is, guys, this is a drug. This is an emotional drug when you hold on to pain. You like rub it into your heart. And you're like, oh, this hurts a lot, but it actually kind of feels good. And if you don't, if you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, you just haven't lived long enough yet. You just haven't, you haven't spent those nights telling yourself the same story over and over and over again about how someone hurt you. But that's a perfect example of someone who's not guarding their heart. And what happens is you decide, I'm going to stop caring about this person. Here's another one. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. I love this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. When I read this, the picture I get is like, okay, my heart is on a path, it's on a trajectory, it's on a course towards God, and then at some point, it starts to turn away from God. And the question we have to ask is, when do we realize that our heart is turning away from God? Like, like, think about it in degrees. Like if it, like, if it gets all the way to 180, and now you're just crazy, is that when you realize something's wrong? Or w could you be so tuned to, to, to see these things, so sensitive in your, in your perception, that you, when you are like five degrees off, you're like, something's wrong in my heart. Something's wrong with me. 
anything that hurts your faith is a big deal, even if someone else doesn't think it's a big deal. No matter how small or how insignificant it might seem to someone else, anything that does this, that turns our heart away from the living God, is, is emergency level stuff. But we need to get good at recognizing what the turning away looks like. What it looks like when I'm indulging in a sin that I don't want to give up. I know. What did we read yesterday? Bad company corrupts good character. Like, yeah, I know that that's true and I see it happening in my life, but I just don't want to stop. I like this. Bitterness. We're like, you know what? I think I just want to, if that person's over here, I just want to kind of do this. We do this in church, in the fellowship. (laughs) People develop, I've never seen people with better peripheral vision than at church trying to dodge people in the fellowship. Where they're like, I'm looking at you, I'm talking to you, but I'm keeping an eye on that guy that I'm trying to avoid. (laughs) It's like genius peripheral vision. But that's what it looks like. When you find yourself doing that, you need to be like, oh my gosh, my heart is turning away. I'm hardening my heart. That's what it looks like. And this is why encouragement is important. This is why we need to cheer one another. This is why we need to encourage one another. Because fellowship, warm, loving, trusting, safe relationships can actually soften people's hearts. But remember what I said, like, well, what is that? How, How do I know? What's that? That sensitivity to when my heart is turning, I love this, because here's a verse about it. Ephesians 4, 18 and 19. He's talking about people that are already given over. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Some people translate that last part as greed, as a separate thing. But it's this idea of, hey, your heart condition is extremely important. The condition of your heart. Where is your heart now? Is it, is it, is it soft? Is it hard? Is it hardening? Is it turning away? We need to be aware of what our heart is doing. A hard heart has no sensitivity. Here's a way to think about that. What do I mean by sensitivity? It doesn't feel the things that God wants it to feel. You don't feel about things the way God feels about them. And this gets back to, if you remember, our definition of repentance. Seeing things the way God sees them. And so when, when my heart is hard, I don't feel towards my family the way God feels towards my family. And that's not good. If God, has, if God feels a certain way around my stuff and my, my money or my bank account or my house or whatever, but I feel something differently, then I have to be willing to be ready to admit that I, maybe I'm greedy. And so there are things in your life that, yeah, your heart is hardening and it's losing that sensitivity. It doesn't feel the things that God feels. And when it's like, and when we're, when we're not seeing the things the way God sees them, feeling the things the way God feels them, then we can't live the way God wants us to live. And that's what he's saying. We're separated from the life of God. 
And so the condition of our heart is very important, and we have to be very careful of it. And so here's what I want to say, real quick, for all the Christians in the room. The thin-skinned, hard-hearted person is incapable of spreading the gospel. Jesus, all the apostles, the book of Acts, all the epistles, the whole early church, they had a message, the gospel, they had a message that required thick-skinned, soft-hearted people. The message of the gospel in the the New Testament is incompatible with a thin-skinned, hard-hearted person. It requires someone who can take a beating and still love people. Sharing the message of the kingdom requires people who can be hurt and will still respond in love. Beaten and say, I'm going to pray for you. You can kill me. Our numbers are still going to grow. I'm not worried about it. And we see that over and over in the book of Acts. But as soon as the church becomes thin-skinned and hard-hearted, the gospel message just grinds to a halt. And then we're done because we can't do the things that Jesus needs done. Jesus needs someone who can go up to someone who's very different on the opposite side of every spectrum of opinion and say, hey, I love you and I would like to build a friendship with you. And yeah, you're probably going to say some things that offend me. I don't care. I'm still going to love you anyway. I don't know if you remember, I invented a word called prepent. We we know what repent is, but, but sometimes we make people prepent. What do I mean by that? If I were like, if I were to reach out to someone and be like, hey, I was just wondering if you have a church, you wanted to come to church. If he were to respond and it became very obvious right away that he was very racist, uh, I, might, I might instantly want to be like, okay, yeah, no, never mind. <laughs> my church is not for you. You don't, want, you don't want what I'm selling. But that's because I feel like that guy is not worthy of the gospel of Jesus until he changes some measure. And we do this. That's, an, that's, a, that's a crazy example. That's an obvious example. But, but like, think about how you do this. What's the t-shirt someone needs to be wearing? Or the bumper sticker? Or the hat? Like, What's the thing that when you see someone, you instantly are like, well, they are not. They would need to change a lot before they would ever be willing to come to church or learn about the gospel. We make them prepent. You have to do a lot of repentance before you're even worthy of my time to, to talk to you about Jesus. There are zero people on this planet that deserve the gospel of Jesus. But there are seven billion people on this planet that deserve to hear about the gospel of Jesus. None of us, including you. You're not awesome. You're just as messed up as they are. We all are. But do we negate God's mercy by forcing people to be more like us before they'll, you won't fit in? Once you change and be like me, then you can come and be part of what we're doing. That's just not, that's not good. That's not going to work. And so what's the solution? How do, we, how do we move forward? How do we move forward? Let's say you are like, you know what? 
you're right. There are some parts of my character that are pretty thin-skinned, and I need to, I need to change. And there are some parts of my character that are pretty hard-hearted, and I need to change those too. Well, how, but how do we do that? Well, I just have two, two examples, two practicals, I guess. But they're even not like super practical. They, they still require a lot of self-reflection and self-awareness. And that is we need to pray and we need to engage. Well, what do I mean by that? I want to read a scripture. This is Jesus talking in Matthew 5, starting at verse 43. He said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so Jesus says two things. He's like, hey, there's people that maybe hate you. You've got to love them and pray for them. You have to pray for the people that are trying to hurt you. And you can't just greet your own people. Now, you might be like, well, what does that mean? And here's my easy answer. It means whatever you think it means. In your mind, if I say, hey, who are your people, in quotation marks, who are your people? Maybe you're thinking a certain political affiliation. Maybe you're thinking a certain nationality or skin color or socioeconomic. I, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm poor people, I don't like rich people. Or, I'm well off, I don't really associate with poor people. Like, and, and you'd have to be really honest to ever say those things out loud, guys. But in your heart, you have a people. We all do. And Jesus is saying, I need you to engage with people that are not your people. Again, if we only talk to the people that are just like us, the gospel dies. And about praying about the people that hurt you, the thin-skinned, hard-hearted person, they pray for people too. But man, I remember praying prayers of frustration. Where I will be like, God, mm, keep that person away from me, God. (laughs) Or praying that God will change them to be more like me. Because then that will help our relationship. If we want peace in our relationship, God, you've got to have to work on so-and-so. The thin-skinned, hard-hearted person prays prayers of frustration. We tell God. What we're telling God is, God, there's something that's giving me that abrasion in life. Take it away. Remove the thing that hurts. But we never ask, like, well, what are the lessons that God could want to teach me through that person? That person that drives me nuts. Could they be in my life for a reason? And so God, sometimes God, he, he gives us what we ask for. He's like, yeah, I can, I can take this person away, but then you're going to be worse off for it because you're going to stay the same. You're not going to grow the way I want you to grow. And some of us, we have not grown anywhere near the way that God wants us to grow over the last however many, 10 years or so. Like, we fall into these ruts. We're like, oh yeah, this, this, I, can, I can do this. Let's just go along, chug along, put my head down, go to work, come on, go to church, blah, blah, blah. 10 years go by and I'm like, oh, 
My life is not better. I'm the same guy, maybe even worse. And I know that because that happened to me. So we have to pray, not frustrated prayers. We have to pray prayers for God to change our heart, not to change their heart. Change our heart so that I love them the way Jesus commanded me to love them, God. Then I want to find people that aren't like me and I want to engage with them. But when you push people away, they stop being real. You can kind of turn them into like a, a caricature of themselves. Then you can believe all you can believe anything you want about them when they're not a real person anymore. So guys, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. I'll leave it I'll leave it here with you guys. The world wants you to be thin skinned and hard hearted. But God wants you to be thick-skinned and soft-hearted. And I remember, gosh, it was like 2015. I was thinking, at the end of 2015, I remember thinking like, what are, what are, what are my resolutions for next year? Like, who do I want to be next year? And I remember saying this. I want to go into 2016 not offendable. And it was literally like, I sh- if I had listened hard enough, I might have even heard God laughing at me when I said that. Like, oh my gosh, do you even know what your next year is? And literally every year since then, I have to make that same resolution like, wow, is this going to be the year that I choose to not let everything get to me? And maybe I'm going to say a couple things. I remember in 2016, like, man, we, we I remember in this country, we had, a, we had a, a rash of violence, very public violence, against where there were uh, high-profile cases of the police shooting unarmed black men, and then there were cases of police officers being, like, gunned down in their squad cars, and what the world was trying to get you to do was pick one. And that's going to be, those, that's your people. That's who you're going to care for. And I don't know, maybe you didn't feel any of this tension. I felt all of this in my heart. Can I be compassionate towards everybody? Can my heart be so soft that I love everybody and I don't have to shut my heart off towards one or the other? And then it happened all again in 2020. We had personal friends who lost loved ones to COVID, people dying, and then we also had people who lost their businesses, lost everything, and yet everything in our society, everything in our media, everything in our culture was like, well, you can only care about one, and you have to, you have to throw the other people away. You're not allowed to care about both. And it's like, well, what if I want to be like Jesus? What if I want to actually care about both people and be compassionate and be compassionate? Like, well... Our society's not built that way. You've got to pick one. Oh, I hate that, guys. So how can we learn how to be like Jesus? Have thick skin where people are going to hurt us and we just let it go. And also be completely soft-hearted. We can still love people. We can weep over the spiritual condition of, of lost and hurting people. You know, if you're visiting with us this morning, one of the things I hope I have communicated is that when I look at the Bible, I love the Bible. And when I look at the Bible, I don't look at things to prove myself right. 
I don't look at things to try to make myself feel more comfortable in my, in my life, in my spiritual condition, my faith. I look at things to challenge me, and then I share those things with you, to challenge you. And I hope that we can live in submission to the Word of God. We're like, man, this, this hits hard. And now, because of it, I need, to, I need to do something. I need to have a response. I need to change. How can my comfort be challenged, not soothed? Because I truly believe, guys, if we can show a lost and hurting world that we have the answer to all of life's little problems, just the little things. We're not trying to end world you know, war. We're, we're just trying to solve the little hurts. If we can show people like, hey, in the kingdom of God, if you live in submission to the Bible, you can, you can overcome those things. If we, show you, if we show people that we have the answers to life's little problems, then maybe, just maybe, they might actually believe us when we say that we have the answer for life's biggest problem, which is reconciling to our Creator. But if we walk around thin-skinned and hard-hearted, no one's even going to believe us. We're just going to be a mess. And that's not what I want for us. Amen? Guys, that is all I have for you this morning. And with that, I have asked... Courtney Heiler, to do our communion message. So, Courtney, come on up.